Welcome to The Heart of Healthcare with Dr. G. This is a podcast that is unafraid to address current issues regarding top healthcare needs and concerns. Welcome to our first podcast. I'm so excited, Dr. G. We're finally at the day that we're here and we've waited a long time to get here, right? Yeah. So we want to welcome you all. And our podcast is called At the Heart of Healthcare with Dr. G. And Dr. G is our host. Well, really, I'm the host. She's really our guest, but she's going to be with me all the time. So we're really excited about it. And um, basically, our show is unafraid to address any of the current healthcare issues or concerns that you might have going on. And Dr. G and myself are here. We really want to thank our sponsor. Um, We are blessed because we have Destiny Home Health, Palliative Care, and Hospice. And they actually are sponsors. And uh, we just feel very, very lucky to have some great folks that are really taking a look at what we're doing. And they're behind us 100%. So we're excited about that. Our first podcast today is going to be about why hospice, and it's going to be a a tough conversation that we're going to have, but we're going to make it fun. But you know, before we get started, I'd like to open up and really give all the praise to our Almighty One. So I'm going to read a scripture, and it says, it's from Matthew 11:28, and it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And uh, we're excited because we know that if we've got him behind us, this is going to be very successful. So we're hoping all of you will uh, begin to follow us and tell your friends about us. Alrighty, so who am I? Well, my name is Tony Kiskin and I'm actually going to be your host for our podcast. As the host, I really want to be able to share some in-depth, not only questions, but stories. Dr. G is gonna tell us a nice story today about hospice to really help you to better understand um, the premise of it, all of the different kinds of issues around it. Why do people dislike the word so much? Why is it really kind of hard to, to kind of wrap our arms around the fact that we might need this in our family? And one of the things that we've talked about, Dr. G, is that The reason Americans really don't like the word um, hospice is because kind of how it came about when it started, all of those kinds of things. But before we dive into that, I really want to help folks to better understand that with the pandemic, a lot more people started hearing about hospice. It was really in their face. The pandemic really kind of brought around a lot of folks that were on ventilators. Our hospice team, uh, for example, had to do a lot of extubating, and that's when they take them off of the ventilator. And so um, it was a tough time for all of us over here, but it was really a tough time for families. And those are the kinds of things that we're gonna kind of talk about here on this podcast. We are not afraid to dive into the difficult kinds of issues and questions. So that's the first thing I do wanna get out of the way. The second thing is, is that you're going to be able to call us or email us actually with any kind of questions, anything that you want to discuss, and we'll go over it in our future podcasts. We'll, we'll touch on all of that. So before we really get started and talk more about hospice itself, I'd really like to 
have Dr. G take it from here and tell us a little story, Dr. G. Well, first, thank you for being here. Thank you to the whole team who put this together. This is so exciting, and it is my hope that this podcast will exude understanding through education and empowerment to action for everyone listening, be it a patient, a family member, loved one. Um, I just hope that you know, we can empower folks as they listen in. So um, the story that I have, since we're talking about why hospice today, is actually about my journey. I actually, believe it or not, rejected hospice when I first heard about it. Oh, who doesn't? (laughs) That's why we're here. (laughs) So that's why I'm so passionate about, about telling people and helping them understand what it really is because I went through that process myself. So my medical school, uh, I'll give them a shout out, Texas A&M, had a wonderful humanities program that was led by my mentor at the time, uh, Mary Elizabeth Herring. And um, she um, had in the curriculum introductions to difficult conversations our first Mm. year of medical school wow literally we had standardized patients and they said hey guys go in there tell them they have heart failure and talk to them about things cold (laughs) that's what they did and also you know they had some structural structural information provided for us about you know the state of you know healthcare in our country how uh, 75% of folks Medicare costs were being used the last few months of life and the quality wasn't there Um, and most people if you ask them would want to pass away at home surrounded by loved ones so anyway as they introduced these things I said wait a minute I had in mind my godmother who was in her early 90s at the time Uh, she has since passed away but I immediately thought okay what do you mean if she has for instance since uh, asthma attack or you're not going to treat her that's what I thought right um, and so through my inquiries and you know challenging asking the challenging questions uh, during our humanities courses small groups I learned I started becoming enlightened about what it actually is so that's first year of medical school second year lectures no patients really Uh, but third year of medical school is when you start the clinical clerkships and that's when you start applying the basic sciences and so I did my internal medicine rotation because that was my specialty of choice and you know you learn everything about medicine Um, all the ins and outs when to uh, send a referral to cardiology pulmonology when to call surgery um, so all that stuff um, happened then and I actually encountered a patient um, who had a lot of things uh, but I always re- call that the thousand paper cuts yeah I call that <laughs> everything in makes that yeah um, so no this gentleman I recall he had uh, I believe it was lymphoma, but I'm not absolutely sure. I, I do remember his face. So I have this patient. So we have this guy, third year of medical school. Then we roll around, fast forward to fourth year of medical school when I was doing a palliative 
elective because again, I was still planning on it. I did a ride along with the hospice with an RN who was admitting a patient. Guess whose house I was at? Oh, That same guy. Wow. Who I had met. So that was like my little confirmation that I was on the right track. But nonetheless, so I saw a lot. While I was on my cardiology rotation, um, there was a gentleman who was begging um, the cardiologist to take him to the cath lab, do a right heart cath, I believe. Um, And I just saw the desperation in his eyes. This gentleman had COPD and he just wanted to feel better. He wanted to be able to breathe and be comfortable. And he told us, um, I don't care if I die on the table. I just want to feel better. And my heart sank because I knew the hospital didn't have a palliative um, team. And so it was so sad to me that it, would, it could have been so easy to help this guy um, on hospice, but it wasn't available, and I realized that was uh, a need that I could fulfill in my career. And so, long story short, that's what happened. Originally, I thought cardiology, uh, and I love the heart. That's the most important organ in the body. Of course. I'll, I'll die on that hill. <laughs> but uh, I decided that I wanted to help people's heart from the outside. And so here we are in the heart of medicine for Dr. G. I was just going to say that just, and that's really how we came up with the the name for our podcast. Mm -hmm. You wanted the heart in there and and we got it. So um, that's really exciting. And, and, you know, I love that story because the thing that that really was surprising to me when I got involved in hospice is that when you mention hospice, most Americans, they hate the word. They hate it so bad. And you know what what I'd really like to share with folks today is how that word came about. And you know, it was during the 11th century crusaders and hospice truly was a place that they would go. They would go there like a way station to just pass away. Because in those days, you know, they walked from place to place. They didn't have cars, they didn't have any of that kind of a thing. And so oftentimes they would get sick And when they did, these crusaders, they would go to these way stations and they were called hospices. Mm -hmm. And that's where many of them did pass away. Mm -hmm. So in, in all of the infinite wisdom, when we got to a point where hospice was being looked at, it was Dr. Cicely Saunders. And she really is the grassroots founder for our hospice today that we see. And she came out of England and um, she really had a concept because she wasn't first a doctor. Mm. You know, she had started out as a social worker, a nurse, uh, then she became a doctor, and she had just these, this great affinity for realizing that there was more to dying than just putting a person in the back of a hospital corner, which what was being done, you know, in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. And she thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. So she really looked at all of the concepts and just like you, when you were looking at what it was that you wanted to do, it just attracted her heart. And again, that heart part of it really is something that's so important um, because if she didn't have the heart for it, she wouldn't have been able to really go in the fashion that she did. And she just went at it. And she worked night and day to put together this whole concept for 
hospice wow. um, at St. Christopher's. And so this methodology of really getting, and I did not pronounce that well, but it's method, methodology, uh, easy for me to say, of really getting people to have a better way to be able to pass away, to die, and not have to do it alone without their family. And so that's where she really got the, the whole concept in, in all of those kinds of things. Dr. G, can you believe that it was really started out of a nurse just going in this direction? I mean, I can because who's doing all the work? <laughs> we know. We know who's doing all the work. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, who's frontline at the bedside? You know, who are our RN case managers? I always tell the families when they, you know, ask me things, I said, hey, the RN case manager, she's she's the star of the ship. Well, the patient is the star. Of course, first. <laughs> yeah, the RN case manager is running the show. Um, and so, yes, I, I, I believe it. And it's just amazing that she became the whole IDT on her own. Right. You know, she saw what was needed. And, and tell, tell them what the IDT role. is. Yeah. So the interdisciplinary team of hospice, you have uh, RN case manager that we've already mentioned. This would be the person who um, goes and does the visits, uh, whatever, you know, frequency has been determined in the uh, plan of care. Um, you have the physician um, who's the medical director. Uh, we have great medical directors here um, for the hospice teams. You have the CHA, that's the um, home health aide who can help out with, you know, the hygiene needs of the patient. Uh, you have the social worker, you have the chaplain, um, and all those are option, those other components of it. Uh, but the chaplain is also able to serve the family's spiritual needs, uh, whatever their background is or isn't. And so that's always a blessing too. And then of course, we wouldn't do anything right without our amazing administrative staff. So um, that's the team. Absolutely. And you're right. She was the beginning. She did all of that in the complete circle. And with her infinite wisdom, the greatest thing about her was that she saw that we needed something like this in the United States. Oh, yeah. um, she didn't want to just keep it in England. Yeah. So um, in starting the first one at St. Christopher's in, in England, she decided to invite a group of Yale medical students. And she invited them to come to see what it was that she had done. They were super, super impressed. And that was probably like around 1970 or so, because this was really the late 60s and stuff. And she had this group of, of, you know, Yale medical students come out there and she showed them each of the parts that she was doing with these, with all of the patients. And at that point, it was a place. It was a place at the hospital where they went and they loved it. Of course they did, right? Mm -hmm. Because it enveloped just this whole body of care mm -hmm. that really worked out well. And you, you've just talked about it. You enjoy that part of it a lot as well too with the the team and and the energy that you get and being able to take care of our patients that way yeah a lot of people think hospice is grim and dim i know it's a triggering word for folks but what i often say is you know hospice does not mean uh, the person is going to pass away next week um, this is medical care that we are bringing into the home or wherever the home of the patient is some of our patients are 
at their house. Uh, some are at skilled nursing facilities, some are at assisted livings, some are in memory cares, um, some are at boarding cares. So wherever the person is, that's where we go to bring the medical care to them. Um, and I like what you mentioned earlier about the quality. Um, that's something that would that's also important. I know that um, things have you know developed over the years, but I was introduced to that um, in residency or our local hospital here, um, Loma Linda. We have Dr. Moore here, and she had us do the modules for CAPSI, mm -hmm. which are amazing. Yes. Um, and so. Those modules facilitate good communication skills, which every physician should have, symptom management, and then a, a slew of other modules for uh, learning the trajectory of disease. Because most people want to know, Doc, how long do I have? And I always say, I don't know. Only God knows. God knows yeah. But this is what we do know. These are the symptoms, and this is what we can expect. And when folks have that explained to them, then that brings a lot of peace of mind, and then they can kind of go with that. You know, I've even had folks, um, a recent uh, admission is coming to mind where a lady was all for hospice, but she said, I'm just so worried about, you know, if my mom falls and breaks her hip, she's gonna be in so much pain and suffering, and, you know, I need to call 911. And I said, well, you always have the freedom to call 911, you, you know, hospice is a prison. Right, <laughs> but, of course. Uh, what I explained to her was the security that she had with the comfort kit. And then I shared a story of uh, me being a resident and seeing a patient in the emergency room who had fallen the evening before, was in excruciating pain after being transported from her nursing home, had not been given anything but Tylenol because they were worried about her blood pressure in the emergency room. Wow. And I said, that could happen to your mother. I said, but you will have in your freezer, in your refrigerator, morphine. You will have a nurse that would immediately come to your home to triage. Um, your mother, you have our doctors that are 24-7 available on the phone, so she will not suffer. No. We do not do suffering in hospice. And so um, she was like, oh, okay. So that it's, kind of Yeah, and it's interesting when you're able to really alleviate that. And that was exactly what those Yale medical students found out. When they went through all of this um, interesting information and everything that Dr. Cicely Saunders had to, to teach them, they were able to bring that back to New Haven, Connecticut. And lo and behold, that's where they started the first hospice awesome. in the United States. Now, granted, it was a place at that time. And it was a house, um, a, a, a good size house. And um, they were able to get folks in there and they were able to practice the principles that you're talking about right now. And they had their IDGs and um, it was great because all of their, their um, residents, they could go through there, they could really firsthand uh, see what was going on. And they found that families were happier that patients died with less pain, like you're saying. And we're gonna talk a lot about morphine because you brought up morphine, and that can be a really bad word yeah. for families, but we're gonna talk about that. That's, that's one we're gonna to get to. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing about this first hospice house, grassroots in America, mm -hmm. was that they were making a difference. Yeah. They absolutely saw that this was the better way 
for people in America die, to die. Mm -hmm. They were not in pain. Mm -hmm. They were not alone. Mm -hmm. They had family and loved ones around them. Mm -hmm. And it was a whole unit of care, just like what you talked mm -hmm. about in, our, in the interdisciplinary team. What's interesting is they did this pilot, and they did the pilot for about 10 years. And after the pilot was done, they were like, oh my goodness, we've got a home health benefit that the federal government pays for. Why don't we take this to the federal government and see if we can get them to pay for it under a hospice benefit? So they took it to them. Well, timing's everything. Because when they took it to them, they were very, very excited about it, and they went ahead and they passed it. They passed the law, they passed everything around exactly the way that Dr. Cicely Saunders set it up, exactly the way that you're describing, they passed it. But I mentioned timing's everything, right? Mm -hmm. It was in 1982. Mm. What was going on, Dr. G? Do you remember? You were very young. <laughs> I get it. But what was going on at that time in America? I was young and aware. No. That's when we learned about AIDS. Yes. Mm. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic. So this amazing benefit that has all of these parts to it that allow people to die with dignity, that allow them to be pain-free, was at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And what was happening is that America was seeing people die in six minutes, six hours, or six days. It wasn't the six months that, that was really the intention of it. It was more about them dying rather than about living and, and living pain-free and that kind of a thing. And you know, it came at a good time. God definitely has a plan in everything, as we've already mentioned. And it was a good time because a lot of the folks that were on this hospice benefit did get to die comfortably. But what happened is it ended up putting a stigma in America that hospice was not about living in something that they wanted their loved one on. It was really more about dying. Mm. And that was a really tough thing because now, fast forward to 2021, that's where we're at today. We are at the heart of healthcare with Dr. G, our very first podcast. We're talking about something that we really, really want you folks out there to understand, and more importantly, have the opportunity to ask us questions about it so that we can get through these tough things. But it's still a stigma. Mm -hmm. People don't want to go on it. And usually they're on it at the very end of life. Mm -hmm. And we have to do a lot of almost pulling teeth to get them to agree to go on the benefit. Mm -hmm. But you know, Dr. G, what happens? What do you see once they accept the benefit and they go on it? What is it that you see? Peace of mind. It goes back to that because they see the care that's provided um, for them at home. And I want to just clarify for those who may not know what some of the diagnoses are. Oh, please, uh, yes. I, I'll go off yeah. script a little bit. Please, but yeah. just so that the listeners know who are, you know, some of our community members uh, may not have medical backgrounds, there are some chronic diseases uh, that have a trajectory. They're going to go so far to a point where you can't cure it. It can't be reversed. Everyone knows about the C word, cancer. Um, so we know we've all experienced someone who suffered 
uh, from that. And so that's something we can relate to. Uh, there's a point when maybe the person's not responding to the chemotherapy anymore or the disease has advanced uh, too far or the person may choose not to get any treatment because they don't, they don't want to. I've had those situations too uh, with a young lady. She didn't believe in Western medicine. Right. So um, that's her choice. Yeah. Um, we also have end-stage pulmonary diseases. So I already mentioned earlier COPD, but there are other things. Uh, interstitial lung disease. There, there's a bunch of things. Um, cystic fibrosis. You have end-stage renal disease. Um, that could be someone who's choosing to stop their dialysis after many, many years. We've had cases like, I've seen cases like that um, in stage heart disease, back to the heart of the matter. So um, heart failure is very common. We know the number one cause of death in our country is cardiovascular disease. And so we do so well treating it that we have a lot of folks that get heart failure uh, once they survive you know, a heart attack or whatever things they're dealing with. But the heart can become weaker and over time, many hospitalizations, exacerbations, it just comes to a point where things are not getting better. And so they can elect for hospice. Um, then you have the neurologic, end-stage neurologic diseases, and a lot of folks don't think about that. Uh, Alzheimer's disease, you know, these are very special patients. I have a lot of them in the memory cares, assisted livings. Uh, they, at some point, uh, become bed-bound, uh, become uh, in need of total care. Um, and so there comes a point, stage in that, seven to ten year journey that the families have been on where we need to come in and kind of help things out um, and Parkinson's again neurologic things and then as you mentioned the AIDS HIV so those are some of the diseases that uh, are covered in everyone's benefits some folks say oh do I have to pay for this no everyone gets it so uh, it's again bringing the medical care to you when this disease process cannot be cured or when you choose not to seek curative treatments. Exactly. And, you know, you said it so well. Um, the thing, And the great thing about when the federal government put it into Medicare, then a lot of the health plans, the HMOs, the VA benefits, everybody followed. Mm -hmm. So there's never a charge for hospice. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter uh, what age, that kind of a thing, which is really, really great because anybody can get it on their journey. Now I touched on morphine mm -hmm. and um, you know we hear all the time, I don't want to go on hospice because what happens is you kill people, you give them too much morphine, all they do then is die. And pretty much a lot of folks think, and, and I know, we know it's true, we hear it, that we're really kind of doing a euthanasia. Mm -hmm. And we know that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And I'd like you to just talk maybe a little bit about that for folks out there. Yeah. So there's always a fine balance between managing a symptom and not making someone uh, overly sedated, a zombie, if you will. So there, there is a fine line for that. And so that's where the education and teaching comes in. That's why you have a doctor that's a part of the team. Um, you know, we're not 
willy-nilly, you know, prescribing controlled substances for that purpose. Like, we have discussions, you know, when the nurses are requesting things. It's not just something that's free. Before I forget, there was another disease that popped in my mind when you mentioned the VA, ALS. Yes. Everyone did that ice bucket challenge. Yeah, the Gehrig's disease, absolutely. They did that ice bucket challenge a few years ago, and I have a beautiful story. We'll share some time down the line uh, from a family I had at the VA with that. And so um, that's another one. Uh, But again, back to the medication. So we deal with a lot of medications. And uh, sometimes I've heard people say, oh, my gosh, I don't want to take that. I don't want to become addicted again. Of course, there's a rare case, but in hospice, we are focused on comfort and we have the opportunity to use certain medications that are controlled substances for the benefit of comfort. And um, there are quality measures. There are, again, you know, I don't want the DEA calling me no. because I'm <laughs> misprescribing <laughs> things. And so there, we don't just do things like that. So again, there's always a management of comfort and goals of care. Those are two key components. You know, if someone's breathing heavily, we can titrate the medication up to a point where, you know, they're breathing comfortably, not not breathing. Uh, When pain, pain is something that people are so afraid of. And Mm. so again, we want to get the pain to a point that they can manage. um, And then so they can do the things that are important to them, hanging out with their family. You know, we have people who, you know, want to be able to watch their movies, whatever it is. Everyone has a different goal of care. And so that's the most important thing to know uh, about our patients when we're managing their symptoms, whatever the symptom may be. Absolutely. And you know, I think that um, you really touched on some great things is being with their family, having their final wishes. And that brings me to the point that as much as it may be very difficult to get someone to agree to hospice once they have agreed to it, The number one thing that we hear on a regular basis is, I wished I would have done this sooner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, the other comment that happens a lot is, it's too bad you have to be dying to get this benefit, which is really, it's really sad to hear that, but it's such an amazing benefit. And one of the reasons why is because medications for the terminal diagnosis, and you just went over those disease uh, management issues, um, it's covered, those medications, and including the pain medicine that you talked about. We also cover durable medical equipment and, and the uh, wisdom that the federal government had when they put this, this benefit into place to be able to cover for a hospital bed or to be able to get oxygen or a suction machine or a walk or a commode. Those are amazing things to just get things delivered um, to your home. You know, chucks, diapers, um, those, are, those are such a great help for families and stuff. And then, of course, that unit of care that we talked about so much in the beginning. And, and I think at the end of it, so many people have really realized that it is a beautiful blessing for them to have their loved one at home because nowadays you don't have to be anywhere. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it was a place, mm-hmm. and that was our grassroots. But now, hospice can be anywhere. They can be in a residential care facility, a boarding care. It can be in an acute hospital. We have GIP contracts, general inpatient, Mm -hmm. where they're too fragile to move and they can be in the hospital. Mm -hmm. 
But most of the patients usually yeah. are at home. Mm-hmm. They could also be in a skilled nursing facility, but it doesn't matter where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. We take care of them wherever they're at, and that's a beautiful thing for families. So we really want you to get a better feeling for this amazing benefit. Truly, when you get the option to be able, we're, we're all going to die, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all are. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get out of this um, without that. Our tents, which is, we, we hear that oftentimes, uh, Paul says it in the Bible quite a bit. We're going to leave our tents. They're just temporary. And we're going to move on to, to a better place. And so understanding that, we may as well be comfortable. Mm-hmm. We may as well be able to be surrounded by loved ones with amazing doctors and, and a team of people that can really take care of them. And that is something that just drives me to be able to do better and, and to be with the best organizations that are out there like Destiny, Hospice, Home Health and Palliative Care. And again, I want to thank them so much for allowing us to do this podcast. And I know you feel exactly the same way. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned them because Destiny, um, our primary purpose is caring. And a part of our philosophy is becoming your extended family. And so I wanted to make a point about people who don't have any loved ones. I've definitely had patients who tell me I'm the last one living. Um, And so we at our hospice become the extended family and provide the care and build the relationship with them uh, if they're at their home or we have folks, like I mentioned earlier, in assisted livings or in memory cares or nursing homes. You know, a lot of these skilled nursing facilities become really, really loving family. They, when I go in there, you know, I know some people give nursing homes a bad rap, but I walk through those halls and I see the work that they do and how they treat them. They literally know their personalities and their all their innuendos and, and it's it's special. It's and a gift for people who don't have anyone to help. You know, you're blessed if you have a support system and family to take care of you, but not everybody has that. So for those of you who don't have that, there are options for you and great companies like our sponsor Destiny who uh, become your extended family and will be there until the end. And so yeah, I that's what we do. We we're family. Absolutely. Well, if you've got any questions, we want to be able to throw out there, and and it will be actually on the screen as well, but you can um, go to our email address and email us anything, right, Dr. G? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about hospice this time, but because we've given you so much information, it probably will be um, questions that you might have or uh, any kind of interest in it. And it's hello um, at destinyhospicecare.com. That's hello at destinyhospicecare.com, and you can email us. And that email comes directly to Dr. G. So she'll be answering those, and we'll answer them live, actually, too, on our podcast. If there's any questions, you can call 951-316-9604, and we'll also go ahead and get those questions together as well. Yeah, and I want to end by saying, you know, what I feel like we do in hospice, if I had to summarize it in a nutshell, I feel like we facilitate courageous conversations. So we help patients in understanding their disease process so that they can ask questions to their physicians, nurses, doctors, uh, help their families understand what they're dealing with. We help 
families understand what the parents or folks are dealing with so that they can agree to get them the care that they need. Uh, we help, I've helped spouses, you know, who, you know, the spout, one spouse knows they're at the end and the other one is not really facing it. So helping them to come together and be able to communicate their wishes because maybe they never did that and, and one spouse is really afraid. Um, and so I was really encouraged this morning. I read a, a little Instagram post that talked about loaning people your courage. Oh. And I believe that's what we do, what I do, uh, letting people borrow your power, your grit, your confidence. And that's what I do. And I'll give the shout out to that young lady. I don't know how to pronounce her name. She did the uh, poetry at the inauguration, that young lady from Los oh, Angeles. Yes. I can't think of her name, but that's her. Someone find it and give her a shout out. But anyway. <laughs> that just inspired me and I wrote that down today and we facilitate courageous conversations and create loving environments that's nothing what I believe like I do with my work nothing like courage for sure and, and a loving yes a loving environment well we want to thank you so much uh, for joining us for our first podcast at the heart of Healthcare with Dr. G and for now we'll close and we'll see you next time thank you Thanks for tuning in to At the Heart of Healthcare with Dr. G. Help us by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. We can't wait to see you next time.